The text I've chosen today for Samuel's entering into the candidacy of reaching, peace God reaching solemn vows. So he will be six months as a candidate, a postulant. In six months, he'll take simple vows. And then in three years after that, he'll take solemn vows, which is a life commitment. Has all that time to prepare. And uh, we will pray for him and watch over him as best we can. So this particular uh, step we call the watchful step because it's the job of the monks to watch over him and see that he stays out of harm's way and that he learns prayer. Take up your cross and follow me. Name the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. It's a wonderful day when someone can have the courage to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. When the rich young man came to Jesus, from which this text comes in the gospel, he wanted to know what he could do to preach perfection. And he told him, take up my cross and follow me and leave the things of the world, is what he said. So by, it's a sort of a paraphrase. And all of us who uh, enter monastic life, monos means one, monk, monos, in Slavonic, monarchy. And it's you who, it's you and God and we have the community around us in the monastery uh, to support us and pray with. I feel it is a big help. I don't think I could have lived this life by myself. Of course, I took my vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience long ago, over 60 years ago, at least. My dear friends, to love the Lord is the greatest desire of life. Love of God, desire for wisdom, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit urge us knows, to go on, to keep up the fight, to live the path. And as you read in the Acts of the Apostles, Paul tells us not to fall from the way. We always ask ourselves on these beautiful days of clothing and profession, which is coming for him in six months, ask ourselves, how can I do this? What's the funny thing about it is that God will push you. Once you start, he smothers you. 
He's always with you, even when you're upset or you're wrong or you're right or whatever. In time of temptation, he's there. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us, when you cannot pray, the Holy Spirit prays in you. So you have a companion, not only monks, but everybody in this chapel, everybody in the world. But rarely do we listen. We have to listen to the voice of God within our heart. He doesn't always speak the same way, especially as you're younger, like Sam, he's very excited. And God had planned that for him. I was also very excited. It's a wonderful thing to be excited about God and to have the church blessing us, sanctifying us, consecrating us. As he goes through, he'll mature more and he'll go in deeper in his studies and he'll find other considerations in his spiritual life. And with each stage, he will learn another voice of God. The nurture voice of God, as it grows in you, becomes holy longing, longing for the holy things, the visitation of the Holy Spirit. In our life, in Lent, we read the latter by St. John Climacus. And there's 32 steps in the letter, and he talks about perfection, spiritual perfection. I don't know, maybe we'll meet the 32nd step in heaven itself. He was a, a talkative person, and a mount, uh, in the mount there in Sinai where Moses went up the mountain. And the monks couldn't stand him because he was too noisy. So they uh, put him out on the mountain in a little cave. It's a big rock over the cave. It's still there. And I can't imagine how he wasn't afraid to go in there and get crushed or something in an earthquake, but he wasn't. And from that cave came beauty. The beauty of a heart and mind that meditated and God received the sacred mysteries, the messages. My dear brothers and sisters, he is now entering, Samuel, the adventure of his life. It's so exciting to talk about. It's so wonderful to hear the voice of God, to suffer for greater spirituality, for better perfection, to realize the journey is with the cross. So today his sponsor brought him a wooden cross. There's nobody on that cross. Sam has to reach that cross. He has to live on that cross. In time of temptation, sorrow, and joy. By living on the cross, he'll carry that with him 
And when his days on earth are ended, the monks put that cross in his hands, in his casket, and it will be his key to heaven. But it's plain today, by that time, it will be very beautiful and decorated with all his sacrifices, with all his penances, with all his sufferings, and his joy. It will be a jeweled cross. I weigh the cross, and when he takes the next step, uh, he will get more clothing to wear as he advances, and finally he'll become a rasa for a monk. That means he's wearing the cross. So, some of the fathers tell us this, that uh, they, the, the monk was walking around the lake taking his daily constitutional, and this young man, younger than Sam actually, saw him, and he said, well, what are you doing in that monastery all day? And all he says, we fall down and get up again. In each temptation, in each things we overcome, uh, living with our brothers are sometimes a little difficult. We get jewels for our cross. We don't give in to temptation. The monk is the principal example of Christianity in the Eastern Church because he lives completely the life of Christ. As Christ reveals it to him, step by step. And as his brothers watch over him. I once vid visited St. Andrew's Abbey in uh, Cleveland. There's Benedictine monks there, Roman Rite. And I was at Michigan State University getting my degree, and there was a Father Andrew there. He invited us to the Abbey, and we went for the weekend. And uh, I saw all the monks in there. They were mostly school teachers and prayers. They were a contemplative group. We do not teach or do things like that. Our job is to pray all day. And we do that the best we can. So I said to Father Andrew, I said, well, what's the most difficult person to get along with in the abbey and in the monastery? He said, it's the holiest one. I thought, well, that's a contradiction. He should be easy to get along with. He says, oh, no. It's a reproach to the rest of us. Reproach to live with people who strive for holiness, who fall deeply in love with God in the liturgy, who are better educated than any of you. Once a monk is in solemn vows, it's up to him how far he wants to go in education. I don't push anybody. 
Some will be professed monks all their life and not further education. Some monasteries don't offer anything like that, but we do. And they can study a sacred science like Theodore, brother, Father Theodore, he's studying Greek. So he can read the scriptures in Greek. And he said to me when I started him out, he said, well, how long do I have to take this? Is it a lifetime? When you're an old man, you'll probably be able to read the scriptures in Greek. Don't rush it. Pray over it. Learn the, the language that the Bible, we receive the Bible in. That would be the New Testament. The Septuagint is our official Old Testament Bible. It's in Hebrew. Very few monks learn Hebrew, but some do. But they have to read sacred sciences. And science means an organized body of knowledge. Why, why do we concentrate on these sacred sciences? Because we want to convert their heart. We have, they have to learn the pain of being in love. So we're hesychistic monks. We live the life of quiet. We spend our time in prayer and study, and of course we have to work and we also have to eat. Unfortunately, it takes a lot of time to do those things. All for the love of God. But in loving God, you are seeking your own perfection. It's a wonderful way. It's Paul's way. Now, I was reading recently the life, uh, psychological life of Gregory Nazianzen. Gregory Nazianzen was a father of the church, and he lived in the fourth century, <clears throat> which is a really up and down hill type of century. Constantine was the first Christian emperor, Saint Constantine, I should say, and his mother Helena. She's the patron of unwed mothers because Constantine was not born in wedlock. Became a great saint. He was baptized actually on his deathbed. He went out to war, got injured or sick, came back, put on a white robe and a white settee or a fainting couch, we used to say in the South, and lay down, baptized by a heretic bishop, and died, saint of the church. Now get back to uh, Nazianzen. Nazianzen came from a very wealthy patrician family in the Roman Empire. His father built a church and had himself made a bishop. Then he called his son home and told him, I want, you're going to be the next bishop here. Well, he didn't want that. Arianism was rampant in the church. He didn't want that. So he said, no, I just want to be a monk. He never had that luxury in his whole life. 
he could never achieve that because he had a great he had a great estate the emperor didn't want it and all these public responsibilities and wrote beautiful liturgy beautiful sermons beautiful theology we never been able to quite make it to be a monk just couldn't get that quiet and afford that time because of his public responsibilities. He was a friend of like St. John Chrysostom, Gregory of Nyssa, the golden age of the fathers. We study them here in the monastery. We are the early church. It's not always to deal, easy to deal with God. Sometimes you pray for something and God listens, but he does what he wants. Vocations are treasure. God hears the voice of your heart and he responds to it. Very interesting, John the theologian wrote the gospel and uh, he was at the Last Supper, and we have a beautiful icon of him and the Lord, and he's leaning on the chest of the Lord, his head. And it says in scripture, he listened to the words of his heart. This is not an easy job. This is not for a person who's not a romantic and deeply in love with the church. Now, we monks, we don't always think we're very special because sometimes we get on each other's nerves and they all have to obey me. That's not always easy because <clears throat> if things aren't going well, I have a military training, I'm liable to tell them. But people come here and visit us and they experience the quiet. They experience being with the monks and they tell me what they think. And we look at each other and we're amazed. Because we don't think of each other as being great saints. We think of ourselves as sinners and we're doing penance for all of you. In the, in the Eucharistic prayer, St. John Christopher, and part of that prayer says, we pray for the faults of the faithful and the sins of priests. It's an interesting prayer. I live with these men. I've lived with a lot of men in my life when I was in the military. Some of them were great sinners. I always felt if we could just open their hearts, they could be great saints. But their passions were unruly. They're our worst enemy. In the monastery, you learn to control your passions. Let's say this, 
to conclude, to give you some idea A wondrous phenomena in the world is a man or woman fully in love with Christ. It's not an easy love affair because you are his shaliak, you are his servant, and you must always do his will. Sometimes there can be a little argument in that. And in the monastery, the hergumen, the abbot's will, is Christ's will. I try to be as loving and charitable as I can. But there's times when I have to be a little rough. I've been all my life subject to authority. I have five degrees. I should finish my doctorate, but I didn't because it became too political. I thought education was the way to success. And I taught in the university, done a lot of things, founded four parishes, one monastery and one convent. I help with that. I found out that true wisdom comes from the heart when you hear the voice of God and you do it. Joy comes from knowing your heartbeat and the heartbeat of Christ is one, like John laying on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. My heart beats also with love. It always did. When I saw other young men and middle aged men and older men, as I grew older, coming to serve their Lord. Nothing is exciting as that. So never feel sorry for monks. Imitate them. So you can fall deeply in love and embrace the cross and suffering. Make your journey towards the heavenly kingdom, which is all our goal, and take some other people with you who do not have the vision. And when you're really bunged out, and you're tired and you're worn out, remember the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit prays within you. When you cannot pray, just join him in prayer. Talk to him. Think of the Lord. Think of the beauty of the resurrection. Think of the glory of the heavenly liturgy. It's in the Bible, but you have to know how to read it, where there is no pain, sorrow, or mourning, but only life everlasting, where the Savior sits robed in white and gold, and fire comes from his eyes, and grace spreads from his hands, and his wounds shine like jewels. Think of the woman of grace, the Virgin Mary, 
stands there interceding for you, equally robed in beauty, gold and white, the mother, the savior. And I say this prayer for you today, as I do it for my monks every day. I try to remember it. Blessed Virgin Mary, you form Jesus Christ's heart under your own heart a long ago. And you gave us our Savior. Holy Mother, pray for us now that you can form through your prayer in our breast a heart that beats for Christ like your heart and his beat when he was in your womb. Think about what you're going to be. Make me holy. Make me lovable. And let me not forget my destiny. And you know, my greatest dream, it's impossible, but have for some saints, I'm not claiming to be a saint, that the virgin will come for you and lead you to heaven on the last day when you're worn out. We are a frail people. We are subject to temptations. But our temptations died on the cross and the blood of Christ was shed. And that blood comes to us in the Eucharist for our journey to our heavenly home. This is what the monks are feed on, feed on every day. This is their life to embrace the cross and make the way to the glorious kingdom of heaven. And they will have there a multitude of people who have gone before us to welcome them. Your relatives and my relatives. And we pray that they will be happy with the life we led because we gave our life to the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.